Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people and others in the autism community to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. I think a lot about intersections, especially how they relate to the autistic experience. One of the most impactful intersections is trauma, and one could certainly argue that to be autistic is a traumatic experience living in a world that doesn't meet or even think about autistic needs. On this episode of Autism Stories, Michelle Bauman joins us to talk about the autistic experience through the lens of trauma theory. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today on Autism Stories. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored and excited. I wanted to start out by learning from you like I learned from many of our guests. Where does your story in the autism community begin? Well, in 2012, I got my own diagnosis, which kind of followed a child's diagnosis. And I was 47 at the time. And I was very eager to finally find people like me because like my whole life, I've always felt like I didn't fit in. I couldn't find anyone who was like my mental equal because it just was always this mismatch. So when I understood finally that this is autism and other people are different than me, I thought if I found other people with autism, I'd find, you know, my peeps. And so I, I sought out very vigorously to try to find you know, the autism community, and I didn't know about the online community at first. So I started off with, um, like, at the back of my written diagnosis, they had listed places to go, and I'm in a very geographically isolated area. The only thing close to me was the one in um, Oregon, Connecticut, which is United Way, and they were so inappropriate. They had us <laughs> looking at, you know, they, they gave us a children's coloring book on manners to teach us social skills. So it's like, this is not for me, you know, <laughs> and then I found... Um, building autistic community up in Westfield, Massachusetts, which is autistic run. That was so much better. And I learned from the autistics there that there's a whole online community, Facebook. I actually never had anything to do with Facebook before this. I remember one time like being unemployed and going to the Connecticut works and they, they, they taught us Facebook. And I'm like, how is this helpful in getting a job? And they're like, you know, like they're trying to tell you how your, um, your online presence and everything. And I just, I didn't get any of that. And I'm like, I don't want to do any of this crap. It seems like a waste of time, but because of the autism community, I got into Facebook and I, and I found my, you know, my autism community through there. And there've been some very, very helpful people that I, you know, made connections with like John Greeley and Kathleen Crowley and Becca, um, Hollers and Becca Laurie Hector. And also from reading books, like the very first book that I, I read after getting diagnosed was Michael John Carley's book, um, Asperger's from the inside out. And I was so like touched and, and, and like, it's like, yes, this is someone like me, you know? So I wrote to him 
And um, he was like, so really cool. He wrote back to me. We kind of, you know, like exchanged emails a few times. You know, we still kind of do that every now and then. So that was really cool. He was a really important connection for me. And the next person I met in person was uh, Leanne Holiday Wiley, because AANE, the Asperger Autism Network of New England, had um, her come for an evening thing on women. And I was like the only one in the audience that was her age. And since I was coming from so far away, I was like really nervous about Boston traffic. So I was like there like an hour ahead of time and we got to talking and we really clicked and, and uh, she's invited me to uh, be a guest uh, blogger on her website, aspie.com. I've written a few things for her. So that, that was a huge help. She connected me with um, other people. Like I went down to Washington DC when the spectrum women uh, walking to the beat of autism book came out. And at the same time, Jennifer O'Toole's book, autism and heels came out. So I went down and, and met, uh, you know, met, met other authors down there. So actually physically meeting people in person has been tremendously, you know, helpful. And, and you know, it's because they, they, they're so like welcoming and accepting and everything. They're, just, you know, such cool people. You recently wrote an important and excellent article called Looking at Autism Through the Lens of, of Trauma Theory. You know, I, I wish we could talk more about trauma when we're talking about about supporting autistic folks. Can you explain uh, a little bit about how the autistic experience in itself is traumatizing based on our society? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's such an ableist society, for one thing. You know, and another thing is that we have a invisible disability, and an ableist society needs to see something in order to gives you like cut you some slack you know so so the fact that they cannot see our you know our differences makes it you know i mean that's a huge huge frustration that i'm constantly you know running into and the the whole attitudes that the like neurotypicals have towards people who are different from them there's like an instantaneous dislike actually can i read a, a quote um, this is from Aunt Emma Wishart's new book, um, But You Said, A Story of Confusion Caused by Growing Up as an Undiagnosed Autistic Person. And she writes in her book, it seems that there is something indefinable about autistic people that some other people can immediately sense without even talking to us, some kind of aura or of our differences. Some people are just instantly made uncomfortable by us, whether it is our different way of expressing ourselves, our incorrect body language, or something even more vague, such as a feeling, there are some people who are repulsed by us. They make this judgment subconsciously and instantly within milliseconds of meeting us. This happens to be, um, this, hap this happens to me a lot, but seems to be most noticeably if I'm upset. As a result, I've learned to never show any emotion in public. Something similar may lead to the erroneous assumption that autistic people don't have emotions. In truth, many of us have emotions so enormous and tumultuous that we have to keep them strictly under control at all times. So this this exact thing in a nutshell is what's going on a lot that is just so, it's so traumatizing that you cannot be who you are and that be okay and be accepted for it and that you're always given this attitude, you're always given this this feeling that you're wrong, that you're too much, that you're unacceptable, you, you get ostracized, you know, you get bullied. I mean, all that's extremely traumatizing. 
So do you, do you see that as one of the big causes why autistic folks are very commonly will mask? Yes, um, definitely. But that's, that's just like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much, there's so much more to it than that. Um, we, we don't feel safe and the masking just comes up as like a automatic self-preservation. It's not like a, a conscious thing. It's not like I decide, Oh, I'm going to mask today. You know, it's, it's, it's when we're put in those situations where we, we don't feel safe that it, it happens like a coping mechanism. Even if, you know, if you're autistic and you go into a setting where you, where that doesn't happen and it's an enjoyable, you know, it's a, it's a, an activity that might be enjoyable. There might be, it might be, it may be a novel or a new situation. And as a result, this may be an, a negative experience. How do you see these new or novel situations in regards to the trauma lens? Well, a lot of it has to do with the fact that most of us who don't know we're autistic or are late in life diagnosed, even those who have been diagnosed early, because there's still a lot of like misinformation and not a great enough understanding about autism that even if you had an early diagnosis you might not have been told this but a lot of people from my involvement in online support groups they don't understand about like spoons which is your personal biogenic energy resources they don't understand that we only have so many you need to be careful of how you spend them you know you need to be able to uh, plan ahead you know becca laurie hector does a really great job with her self-defined living course i was one of her pilot you know her students in her pilot course for that she does a really excellent job of explaining this whole process people who don't know they're autistic they don't understand that they are neurologically different from others and so they think that they have to keep up and there's so much guilt there's so much shame of, of like why the hell can't I do what everyone else is doing? Why am I so exhausted all the time? Why, you know, or when you do have a meltdown because you haven't been watching your spoons and, you know, it just kind of comes to a head and, and you just kind of like melt down, then you have all this humiliation. It's like, you know, I'm an adult. Why am I acting like a four-year-old? So all this misunderstanding about it adds like a huge, huge layer on top. If there was more information out there, more quality information that people understood about this, you know, because me getting my diagnosis, learning about it, and um, working with my therapist, because you may know something cognitively, but when you get in the situation, that's different. So you will, you will screw up a few times, but as long as you've got someone to talk about those screw ups afterwards, then it starts to click for you. And so I don't melt down as much as I used to anymore. I know, you know, I, I understand like where I go wrong and you know, where, where the exhaustion starts to come in and now I, I know that when I start to feel overwhelmed or start to feel like like there's not enough time and pressured and, and resentful about everybody putting demands on me, I know now that's when to say, okay, back off everybody because my mental well-being, my and, and it's not just mental, it's physical because when you when all that goes through your body, there's a lot of strain on your heart and everything. So I, I now know to like back off and say, hey, you know, I can only do what I can do. You know, you, you need to either delegate this out to someone else or you're going to have to wait a few days or something, you know. But people who don't understand anything about this, they think like the, remember the story of the ugly duckling who thought, he, you know, he, he tries to do what everyone else is doing and he's getting all this feedback. Why aren't you, you know, good enough? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? 
you're a totally different creature. You can't keep up with them. You can't do it their way. You can do it your own way. And once you find your own way, it's going to be this wonderful thing because it's, it's, it's different and it's unique, but you have to give yourself the time and the, you know, the, the space to discover who you are, how your autism affects you, what your own way is, and then have the boundaries and the guts to stick to what works for you and not be pressured by the outside world. But the rest of the world, they don't know anything about autism either. And like I said, that whole ableist attitude that is not going to cut anyone's slack for being different is there's all that pressure and it's constantly there. It, it always frustrates me because I talk about spoon theory so often that so so few people still are not aware of, of it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there is such a lack of knowledge or information or awareness, I should say, about spoon theory? Well, because the people who put out the misinformation in the first place were doing so to pad their own pockets. And they are they've got so much money it's like it's like david and goliath you know we can't with our little voice be shouted out you know over them with with all of their huge media conglomerate and now all their ties they've, they've got ties to congress and everything pushing their agenda through it's it's like they are oppressing us they are keeping our voices from being heard and they're putting their some themselves out there as the the experts in autism, whereas they don't even really have maybe one or two token people in their organization that are autistic that they probably aren't even listening to, you know, but they say they're they're the experts on autism. So we're fighting against that. We're just little David against that huge Goliath. So how can we, you know, reach the general public? But we can, we can do this within our own autism community. And we can do this by supporting our own autistic peers and you know, sharing the information. Now, in your article, you also talk about the nervous system in relation to trauma of the autistic experience and wonder if the language used to describe some of these situations may not be helpful because they don't mean anything to those outside the autism community. Uh, In the article, you referred to phrases like meltdown and social hangover. What might be some better ways to describe these experiences so the needs of autistic people can be better met? Great question. So instead of reinventing the wheel, and what I mean by that is that the um, traumatologist, which is a branch of um, psychology, but not the old psychology that's like deficit psychology. This is more positive psychology. Traumatologists have come up with their own terminology. So that wheel's already been invented. And we're kind of like reinventing the wheel with our esoteric terminology that only people within the autism community know about. And not not everyone does. Like you said, not everyone knows about spoons. So I think we would do ourselves a huge service to just adopt the terminology that's already there. So basically what we mean by a meltdown is that our nervous system has become dysregulated. Because that is the terminology and trauma theory, a dysregulated nervous system or dysregulated emotions. So and and both those things happen in a meltdown. You 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 get emotional or over emotional and you know, so 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 that's it's just dysregulation of your nervous system. We should just say that because then people will know what we're talking about, at least you know, people within those realms. And the ones that don't, they can Google that and you will get hits on that. You may not get 
get many hits if you Google spoon theory, you know? So, so and, and also people, people who, who are newly diagnosed and they go to their therapist, there's not a lot of therapists out there that have a lot of experience within autism specifically, but they might have actually had some exposure to trauma theory. So if you use those words, they would know what you're talking about and you would get a lot more um, compassion from people. And like some of our words actually, I think, are counterproductive because like meltdown, I mean, when when um, when my nephews would, would uh, be upset about something, the parents would be like, okay, don't have a meltdown. You know, it's like, okay, so they think meltdown means temper tantrum and everybody hates a grown-up who's not a grown-up. You know, so if you're using the word meltdown, then you're even admitting that you're not a grown up. And that sounds very pathetic. And so that does not engender any kind of support or compassion. It just it just brings more judgment on you and more people like closed off to you because they, you know, everybody hates somebody who can't can't act their age. But if, if it's if you use the terminology from trauma theory, then you're not saying that you're immature. You're saying that your nervous system is having difficulty which might actually gender more support well and certainly earlier in my life um 10 20 years ago i was very familiar with the definition hangover yes. <laughs> <laughs> most people are yes <laughs> especially since that movie that hilarious movie the hangover <laughs> yes 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 uh, can't go wrong with mike tyson in any movie that's what i say uh, a tiger that eats a car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in your article, you discussed autistic burnout, something many people that listen to um, autism stories can relate to. What would be your definition of autistic burnout, and how is that burnout connected to trauma? Well, it's, it's not my definition. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, if we if we were to use the terms from trauma trauma theory. That is basically a prolonged dorsal vagal state. When your nervous system is in the dorsal vagal state, you have low energy. You, you know, you, you are um, lethargic. You know, your mental. You've got like brain brain fog. So that is, you know, a social hangover and autistic burnout. They're just different degrees of a dorsal vagal state. And I'd say burnout is a prolonged one. And. How do you look at, um, you know, sensory experiences in relation to to this burnout? Well, for my personal experience, my sensory issues become more acute. They become more problematic. When I'm in burnout, I need to be in a dark room with no lights, no noise. I need to put like a cold pack on my head um, because any kind of sound feels like someone's like jamming an ice pick into my brain or, you know. It goes both ways. Your sensory experiences can cause your burnout. Um, I happen to also be hyper, hypersensitive, or what's, I'm not even sure it's a, a, an official term, but I'm a sensory defensive autistic. So um, I actually recently had a, an experience where I went to pump gas and the, um, the speakers were like so loud that I was like uncoordinated. You know, trying to put the tank into the car, I was like, my hands were shaking, and I was uncoordinated, and I, I you know, I, I couldn't do it. I ended up like spilling the gas all over the car and on me, and you know, so I went in and asked them to, to turn the music down, and they, 
you know, they're like, oh, well, we can't do that. That's, you know, that's, that's something that management controls. We can't do it. So I tried to try it again. And it's like, I can't do this. I've totally, you know, as I walked in to ask for help, I, I became so dysregulated that I was like, I was drunk. You know, I, I stumbled. I, my, my, um, depth perception was off. I walked into somebody and stepped on their toe. Also, when you are, that's called a sympathetic nervous system state and trauma theory. When you are in a sympathetic, that's the fight flight, you know, thing, your amygdala and gets really fired off and your vocal cords get tight. And so you end up either talking in a higher pitch voice or a louder pitch voice. So yeah, the guy thought I was rude. He thought I was shouting at him when I was asking you know, to turn the music down because that's how badly dysregulated I was. My, my whole sensory system was totally thrown off by that amount of noise, you know? And, um, so anyways, I ended up having to just leave without, you know, getting my receipt for the gas or anything. I didn't really get gas and I'm driving with gas on my body. So now there's more sensory stuff, you know, plus the burn on my leg, but the smell too, you know? So yeah, it, it was hell. It was dangerous. It's like to drive off like that was, was putting my life at risk. But so, you know, there's an example of how sensory stuff can cause the nervous system to become dysregulated, but also a dysregulated nervous system has no tolerance for any more sensory input, which is, you know, I probably might've been dysregulated to begin with when I went because I, you know, I, I hadn't slept well the night before. And that's probably why maybe the noise was, was so dysregulating for me. But, you know, it, it kind of goes in both directions like that. Are there any, like, proactive things you can do to kind of deal with, like, this trauma? Like, I'm thinking, like, just the, the gas station was a great example. If, if autistic people were the majority in this world, what would be some of the differences you'd think that would be helpful? I can't see any reason why you need to blast music into people's ears while they're pumping gas. There's absolutely no reason for that. You know, we have music in our own cars and the few minutes it takes to pump gas, I think we can do without music for those few minutes, you know? And, and, and besides, the music we individuals put in our car is our own taste. You know, there's no reason for it. Even stores, like this time of year with Christmas music and everything, there's no reason for it to be at that level that consists, you know, always the same thing over and over and over again. There's no need for that constant input of noise. If autistics ran the world, we wouldn't have, you know, piped in Muzak or whatever you call it. We wouldn't have those big bright lights and box stores and all that open space. And, and you know, it's like if I, I, I want to get my brand of toothpaste and I can't find it because there's like thousands to choose from. I cannot find, you know, toothpaste is toothpaste. Why do we have to market so many different ones and make it so more difficult to find what you want? And, and everyone's putting the uh, whitening stuff in there, which is a more sensory problem to me because I, you know, that's hurting my teeth. I want one without whitening. You know, we don't need all this extra stuff that it's all done because people are just so money greedy that they think that they market all these different things, you know, they make more money that way. I mean, if all that could calm down and just meet people's basic needs and not have to be such pigs about, you know, the making so much extra money, that might help. I think uh, if the, the world went at a slower pace too, you know, I think um, there's so much traffic and stuff. I, I refuse to work in a metropolitan area because it, I would just become too dysregulated going through traffic and stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's great that we have the internet and things that can connect us all, but the fact that we all have to 
converge on cities to get employment and stuff. You know, I'm hoping that things will change now after COVID because people have understood that you can now work from home, you know, and, and all that, you know, driving into cities is not good for the environment. It's not good for emissions, you know, the greenhouse effect and everything. All that was totally unnecessary, but it's because everything's run by greed and capitalism instead of common sense, instead of what's good and healthy for people. Now, you are a uh, trauma-informed coach. So if people listening wanted to learn more about what you do, um, about your services, how would they go about getting in contact with you? They can reach me at lifecoach.pelc at gmail.com, which stands for Personal Evolution Life Coaching. Or you can find me on my online presence. I have a LinkedIn account. I have a... um, a Facebook group called Eastern Connecticut Building Autistic Community, and you can find it either under that name or Michelle Bachman, B-A-U-G-H-M-A-N. Just before we started recording, uh, you were you were telling me a little bit about a couple of uh, projects that you have going on um, beyond what we've talked about today. So the first is a uh, group from Yale. Can you tell me a little bit oh, about yes. that? I do a Meet the Author book discussion group through Yale University's autism program. And um, we've, we've had several autistic authors, and all of the books are things that would um, improve the lives of people on the autism spectrum. Our very first author was Gordon Gates, who's, who's from Canada, and he earlier this year published this book, Trauma, Stigma, and Autism, Developing Resilient Resilience and Loosening the Grip of Shame. And uh, I've always been kind of interested in trauma theory, but he sort of like re-spurred that interest. And I did quote him in my article as well. We uh, discussed things that, like, you know, as my article says that we adopted the trauma theory and we understood these things better and we could communicate better, we would get more compassion and understanding and advocate better for ourselves. So that's one reason why, you know, a a lot of our books are to do with trauma. We also had Lisa Tona Morgan, because she's just released Mm-hmm. released the book trauma on the autism spectrum yeah so um and um i mean some of some of the books are not specifically autism but they could benefit um us anyhow um like this is one that's we didn't meet this author because i don't know her but um personally but um she patricia evans wrote the verbally abusive relationship how to recognize it and respond because we are spoken down to so often and we are, you know, we, we are always considered, you know, like the, the quote that I had said earlier from, from Emma's book, you know, how people have this automatic dislike for us. So, so we are verbally abused a lot, so much so that we don't even recognize it when it's happening. And the best way to advocate for yourself is to put up a boundary and say, I'm not going to tolerate being spoken that, to that way. But if we don't even recognize it when it's happening, there are actually 15 different forms of verbal abuse, you know, 15 different like styles or flavors. And um, most people think, oh, verbal abuse is just like someone, you know, maybe making sexual innuendos or, or yelling at you or, or calling you names. No, there's, there's, there's so much more than that. So, you know, we, we discussed this book, which I think is very valuable because for, for people on the spectrum. And, um, you know, we, we've done, uh, gosh, there's, I mean, we've, some of them were just for fun, but we, you know, we, we, it's, 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 I think it's a good thing for people on the autism spectrum to meet others who have, um, made a contribution to the, to the autism community, because then it makes you think, Oh, I, I can do that too. You know, I think a lot of the baggage we have is 
from other people always talking down to us, we've internalized that and think that we aren't capable of, of, you know, making a contribution to society because of how we've been treated. But that's just not true. If we get enough exposure to our own community, we will build up the confidence that we should have to live a better quality life. And we can make a contribution to our own autistic community or even to the greater world by, you know, by building up that confidence. And uh, you, there was one other project that you were you involved in? Oh, yes. I, I've been, um, I was recently uh, selected for the Connecticut Council of Developmental Disabilities, which um, kind of helps to make policy and funding decisions in the state of Connecticut. It's not just for autism, it's for all disabilities, de developmental disabilities, but I do hope to, you know, to, to make an impact there. How many autistic adults were on that committee prior to you? Uh, well, the, the chairman, James Hexler, is, is autistic, and um, I think there may be one or two more. I mean, I'm not, it's not like we, we wear our ability on our yeah. sleeve so you know I there are a few others that I think might be autistic but I don't know for sure mm -hmm. you know so I but I do know because James and I were both members of um, partners in policy and um, he was one of the guest speakers at the you know he, he did it a few years ahead of me so he was a guest like a guest speaker to my group and you know he publicly stated that he's on the autism spectrum so I knew that mm. and well, I know there are some uh, parents of autistic people are on the spectrum hmm. on, on the committee as well hmm. well I I know that you'll be a great benefit to the committee and um, really appreciated learning from you today Michelle so thanks so much for joining us thank you for having me thanks to everyone for listening and thanks so much to Michelle for the conversation to learn more about Michelle check out the link in the podcast description of this episode you can also find a link to book a free call to learn how Autism Personal Coach can help you to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things you want. So book a call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it would help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Shea Belsky about employment in the technology field for those on the spectrum. Talk to you then.